Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. This is Kathy. And this is Karen. Today, we will discuss episode 27 of The Story of Minglan or Zhifo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, or else email us at karenandkathy at chasingdramas.com if you have any questions. For today's episode, we will do an episode recap, then discuss a lot of history that is brought up during the episode, and finally close with some book differences. This episode is quite meaty in terms of the various, I guess, story threads that are going to be important for the next couple of episodes, and lots of characters as well. So we'll dive right in. At the end of the last episode, our main character, Ming Lan, discovered more concrete evidence as to what caused her mother's death. It has to do with Ning Xiangyang, or Mistress Lin. She provided too much heavy and oily foods to Minglan's mother when she was pregnant and restricted her mother from walking around, which caused the unborn baby to grow too big and caused the demise of both mother and child. Minglan, hearing this, wants to avenge her mother, and the first step to do so is to get her father on her side. One night, at the family shrine, Minglan puts on a show of piety, praying to their ancestors. Her father, Sheng Hong, finds her there and praises her for her thoughtfulness. Minglan, though, then tactfully transitions the conversation to her own mother's death and adds in a few requests for Sheng Hong to provide a few drops of blood as a way to ward off evil spirits or else visit her mother's shrine at the temple. Sheng Hong coldly refuses both. It's evident this conversation makes him uncomfortable, and he even reprimands Minglan for making such demands of her father. To us and to Minglan, it is clear that Sheng Hong has absolutely no emotional connection to Minglan's mother and does not care about her at all, even though she birthed him a daughter. Not that I want to justify or lighten the impact this has on Mingline, but I do think that some of this might just be a product of the patriarchal society. We want to have a more romantic view of people, but I do think Sheng Hong reflects what a man during the Song Dynasty would behave like when talking about his concubines or mistresses that are really just tools to bear children. Men can have as many concubines or mistresses whose sole purpose is to bear children, and love and romance is not part of the equation at all. Yeah, this episode for me really just highlights how um, pretty cold-hearted Sheng Hong can be. Not to the level of what we'll see later in this episode, but he's not that great of a man. And with that... We turn to the main event of the episode, a da xie yan, or a thank you banquet at the Gu household, or Gu Tingye's family's home. It is a grand event where all of the notable families in the capital have been invited. 
This is, of course, to thank everyone who uh, paid their respects for the passing of the old marquis. For us viewers, though, the piece de resistance of this event really is the banquet table. This table pays homage to something called a qu shui liu shang xi or a winding stream party. And fortunately, the behind the scenes episodes for this drama provides a lot of information about how the show and the drama decided to create this table. So we will talk about it at the end of the episode. But I right now am mesmerized by how beautiful this table setup is. This banquet is organized by Madame Qin, the Marchioness of Ningyuan, or the stepmother to Gu Tingye. Like I mentioned earlier, she invited these families to thank them for their support after her husband's death. The seating placement of this banquet is also quite revealing, as it reveals the rank of the ladies in attendance. In China, the most important guest or the host will sit at the head of the table and the rest of the guests will be seated in accordance to importance or rank. That's why the marchioness is at the front and beside her are Princess Pingning or Qi Hong's mother and then the wife of the Prince of Yong and her daughter Jia Cheng Xianzhu. We've met Jia Cheng Xianzhu before. She was one of the other women who was viewing the polo match that featured Ming Lan and Qi Hong back in episode 16. At the end of this incredibly long table is Ming Lan and Mo Lan. It makes sense as they are daughters from a low-ranking official and also only Shu Nu. Ru Lan, on the other hand, is seated slightly above them. Uh, Mulan gets distracted by men and Yang Hong, whom we met in episode 16 as well, she's the uh, third sister to Minglan's best friend Yang Zhan, takes Mulan's place. This episode definitely has a lot of characters that you kind of have to just like re repeat view uh, the, uh, the drama to kind of understand who each person is because I'm telling you, I've watched this now so many times that I'm still like, oh, that's who this is. Anyways, Yin Hong is our plot driving device because she explains who's at the head of the table. Ping Ning Junzhu, or Princess Ping Ning, who generally looks down upon most people, but is today rather meek in front of the uh, wife of Prince Yong, or you would say like she's also a princess. Um, but Yin Hong surmises that it's Probably because Princess Pingying heard whispers of who might be the next crown prince, and that might just be Prince Yong. Yan Hong is rather direct in telling Minglan that Princess Pingying is thinking of arranging a marriage between her son, so Qi Hong, and Jia Cheng Xianzhu, the daughter of Prince Yong. This information is really helpful for laying the groundwork because right at this moment, at the head of the table, the wife of Prince Yong, or she would be Princess Yong, notices Minglan and wants to bring her over to see more closely. But 
is cut off by Pingying Junzhu, who tells a story as a distraction. Many people hear this story and think it is a way for Princess Pingying to、uh, insult Minglan, which highly amuses the、uh, Princess Yong, but does give Minglan a chance to leave the banquet for some fresh air. Out in the yard, though, the Countess of Yongchang, so another woman that we've seen in previous episodes,、uh, and they don't really explain who she is. The Countess of Yongchang follows Minglan out to try to make her feel a little better over the discussions in the main hall. Clearly, everyone knew who、uh, Princess Pingning was、uh, trying to insult. This Countess, as we've seen previously, really likes Minglan, so she wants to try to help Minglan see that even though the Duke's family might be hard to marry into, her family is not. Problem is, this little interlude is cutting into time that could be spent with Ti Hong himself because Ti Hong's servant Bu Wei creates an excuse to divert the Countess's attention before grabbing Minglan to see Ti Hong. In a secluded corner of the Gu grounds, Ti Hong is over there waiting for Minglan. It's a really sweet scene as these two finally see each other after many months. They're still in their puppy love phase, with both of them blushing furiously at seeing each other. Chi Hung, who has been feuding with his mother, is noticeably thinner and actually looks pretty gaunt. Has actually brought pastries for Minglan. They're called Tian Cheng Gao, and I'll talk about them later. Chi Hung reiterates again his intentions to marry Minglan as his wife, not mistress. He states he doesn't care what his mother thinks, and even shares with Minglan his plan to request his marriage from the emperor himself during the spring banquet in the palace. He bravely and boldly says, "I will never let you down." Minglan is really touched, but in the next scene where she is sitting by herself with her maids eating the pastries that Tihong brought, she plainly says. This is not something that can happen. She clearly hopes that Tia Hong can make this happen, but is aware that this will be an uphill battle. You can see that she's trying to keep her head straight, but she's definitely wavering. I mean, you have a handsome young duke confessing his undying love for you. Who wouldn't? Did I mention handsome too? <laughs> Well, none other than Gu Tingye butts in to say、mm, he also does not think Qi Hong can make this happen. Minglan is surprised to see him in the capital, but Gu Tingye just brushes it off and says he's here to pick up something of his before leaving this family for good. Apparently, Gu Tingye overheard Minglan's entire conversation with Qi Hong, and brings up an anecdote he thinks is apt to fit Minglan's relationship with Qi Hong. The anecdote is about Tang Minghuang and Yang Guifei. We'll talk about this anecdote at the end of the podcast. Essentially, Gu Tingye tells the story to compare how when a guy like Qi Hong is threatened with his family and status, he ultimately will forego romance in order to protect those things. Minglan is annoyed to hear this and starts bickering with Gu Tingye. But because it's out of decorum for both of them to be seen together, they quickly depart. 
I feel like this servant Bu Wei picked a poor place for Minglan and Qi Heng to meet because not only did Gu Tingye see them, but so did Qi Heng's mother. Or she saw Bu Wei take Minglan to see someone, which she can only assume is her son. Once home from this banquet or, or party, Princess Pingning, so Qi Heng's mother, immediately drags the servant Bu Wei to see her. She is furious that he helped Qi Heng meet with Minglan secretly and orders him to be beaten. Qi Heng, of course, tries to reason with his mother and begs her to let his servant go, but it's too late. He, Qi Heng, hears a sudden stop in the screaming and rushes over to see Bu Wei, only to find that he has been beaten to death, just as his mother promised. Qi Heng promptly faints. This entire scene was shocking to me. I did not expect Bu Wei to actually die. What did you think, Karen? I was surprised too. This is a complete reversal to how shows normally progress. They just totally raises uh, the stakes between Qi Hong and Minglan and shows just how, I guess, brutal the princess is. We'll talk about this a little bit more at the end of the episode, which um, kind of explains how revealing this is to both Princess Pingning and Ti Hung as characters. The thing is, though, when Ti Hung wakes, he is obviously distraught. His closest friend and confidant has been killed by his own mother, and he fights with her that no matter what, he will marry Minglan. He even goes so far as to try to head over to the Sheng family right now uh, at that moment to ask for marriage. However, his mother makes the claim that if he tries to marry Minglan, that will mean the demise of his family. His mother reveals the truth behind the chaos that happened at the Lantern Festival in the last episode. It's all because Jia Cheng Xianzhu, who was at the banquet today, Daughter of Prince Yong, so Yong Wang, fell in love with Qi Heng at first sight during the polo match. Her mother, so uh, the wife of Prince Yong that we saw earlier as well, requested an audience with Qi Heng's mother to secure this marriage. But another person has already requested this marriage, and that is the younger sister of the emperor's concubine. So this woman is Rong Fei Yan. Remember her? She's the one who was kidnapped in the last episode and committed suicide because she was humiliated in both body and spirit. It turns out that Pingning Junzhu had told this uh, wife of the prince about Rongfei Yan's intentions to marry Qi Heng. The prince's wife could not have had anyone compete with her daughter for Qi Heng and thus concocted this entire plan to rid her daughter of the competition. It's not 100% confirmed that the Yong family or the Prince of Yong did this, but even the Emperor's Imperial Guards could not find who the culprits were to such a high-profile kidnapping. The only person who could have done this, logically, is Prince Yong. In the last episode, Milan even said, everything is documented in the capital city. How can one person and such a high-profile person just disappear off the face of the earth for a couple of days? As a reminder, Prince Yong is the 
oldest of the clan members and has the most support for being the next emperor. If Ti Hong goes off to marry Minglan and causes tensions between the families, if Prince Yong becomes the next emperor, it means the downfall of the duke's family or the house of Ti. Ti Hong's father and mother will become targets and their titles will most likely be forfeit. Right on cue, as Ti Hong is digesting this information, the episode ends with news that Ti Hong's father went to the Prince of Yong's household and has not yet returned. Now that the truth has come out, it can only be assumed that his father has been kidnapped as a way to force Ti Hong to agree to this marriage. That is really complicated stuff for Ti Hong to digest, and he is in total shock. Before we uh, round out this episode recap and move on to some character analysis and, and history, I do want to briefly touch on the scene where uh, earlier in the episode where Gu Tingye is trying to grab a spear that he won uh, or was gifted to him by the emperor um, for having uh, displayed his uh, spear skills in front of the emperor when he was eight. This is a huge honor for him and a very prized possession, but his sickly older brother prevents him from taking it away. Gu Tingye and his brother get into an altercation, and Gu Tingye does not uh, have any option other than relinquishing the spear this time, but stakes the claim that one day he will come back and the family will have to uh, hand the spear back to him respectfully. This is important as we will see this later on in, uh, in future episodes, but it is still very evident that uh, family relations in the Gu family are also nowhere near uh, mended. Okay. Let's talk about what happened in this episode because there is a lot to digest. Primarily, we are learning more about the... Uh, intricacies of Ti Hung's marriage and his mother's role. While it is despicable that she, so Ti Hung's mother, beat her son's servant to death, after her explanation of the delicate situation they're in, you somewhat have to understand where she's coming from. In a previous episode, Sheng Hong, Minglan's father, noticed that the Ti household rarely had any scandals, which must be because this Princess Pingning is intelligent enough to know how to uh, manage the various societal and political powers in the capital. I do not think she actually wants to prevent her son from happiness, but in the face of her clan's benefit, she has no choice but to push him towards marrying the uh, Xianzhu. This is evident during the banquet when Princess Yong or um, Prince Yong's wife requested to see Minglan. It was Ti Hung's mother who sensed danger and cut off this uh, Prince Yong's wife with a story. The story is about how a lowly scullery maid got into a fight with one of her, the princess, Pingying's close maid, and how such a lowly scullery maid has no place or rank to even be considered. While on the surface, this is an insult to Minglan, it is precisely this story that diverts uh, the uh, Princess Yong's attention enough for Minglan to escape. Chi Hung's mother 
knew that this princess is dangerous. If she felt that Minglan could be a threat to her daughter's marriage because Minglan is prettier or has a nicer figure, as is what precisely Yen Hong mentioned. Like I said, Yen Hong is just there for expository purposes. Uh, Minglan and her family would be toast. Tiang's mother knows full well what this uh, Prince Yong's family is capable of. They're more than able to completely destroy Minglan's family. So she actually stepped in quite skillfully to uh, protect Minglan. It's a very brief scene. You see Princess Pingning have a side glance and, you know, step in to prevent uh, this Yong Wangfei or this Princess Yong to, uh, you know, see Minglan. This is not something that many people caught, but I do in this instance respect Ti Hung's mother a lot more. She rules with an iron fist, but has to be like this in order to protect her family. Now, let's talk about Ti Hung a bit. He will be the main focus of the next episode as well. This episode, though, we are now seeing his weaknesses for sure. Yeah, he wants to marry Minglan, but. What did he do to try to uh, force his mother to acquiesce to his marriage proposal to Minglan and also his uh, solution to try to prevent the uh, Prince of Yong from forcing his marriage to Jia Cheng Xianzhu? His solution, right? His own death. While that is very honorable and perhaps, you know, high school me would be touched that this guy would choose death as a way to escape his conflict very Romeo and Juliet-esque. Present day me, so not in high school, uh, finds this as a reflection of his weakness. For one, there's a saying in Chinese for women, which is yi ku er nao san shang diao, which is a more derogatory way of saying uh, that women, what they do when they come into conflict is one, cry, two, fight, and third, threaten to commit suicide or hang yourself. What it ultimately means per the saying is that generally women use these tactics to get what they want. It's a stereotype, not fully true, but in my view, this is one of the weakest ways for anyone to get what they want, but is exactly what Ti Hung does. Instead of reasoning with his mother and truly fighting for Minglan, he stops eating and causes self-harm as a way to fight. He doesn't come up with many strong ways to fight back to secure uh, this marriage other than this recent suggestion of asking the emperor to arrange the marriage, which, okay, that's a good idea. But does this reflect a man who will stand up for you in a fight against his mother or other forces? If his best solution is commit suicide? I don't know. If you're not convinced, another more powerful example is the death of his beloved servant, Bu Wei. Sure, his mother ordered Bu Wei to be beaten to death, but what did Ti Hong do? He just begged his mother and watched his servant die. In his mind, begging his mother was enough for her to listen to him, but Ti Hong didn't even think of jumping on top of Bu Wei to take a few hits. He did not fight to drag Bu Wei off the table where he was beaten. He didn't do anything that would actually help Bu Wei. He simply begged and watched and passed out. 
This will be contrasted heavily, at least for me, in later episodes when Mingland's sister's maid, so Rulan's maid, is beaten. And even then, Rulan had the mind to lay on top of her maid to take a few hits to protect that maid from being, uh, from being beaten to death. Chi Hong, on the other hand, is full of disappointment. He doesn't understand how the world works as he's been too coddled as the only son of a duke and princess and is nowhere near brave enough to stand up for himself. That is why, deep down, even though Minglan would love to marry him, she is never fully sure he can make it happen. Right? When uh, Xiao Tao was asking her about it, Minglan's like, it's never going to happen, even though she wants to believe it. This episode really solidifies for me that despite being a duke, Chi Hung is too weak. All right, I know that was a lot of bashing of Chi Hung. I still like him overall as a, I guess, a person. He's so sweet. Just, you know, we have to be realistic about, uh, about these men, right? Anyways, let's move on to history because there's a lot to talk about in this episode. First up is the beautiful Chu Shui Liu Shangxi, or the uh, Winding Stream Party, featured prominently in this episode. As Kathy mentioned earlier on, there is actually a really uh, good uh, behind-the-scenes YouTube clip where the um, uh, the drama, like the director, actually explains the inspiration for this set piece and how they built it. It's really quite uh, magnificent if you have the opportunity to watch it and, and understand it. It's in Chinese. I don't think there are subtitles, unfortunately. So I am going to explain that here. So this uh, party um, is inspired by Shang Sijie, which is a holiday in China after the third day of March, where people bathe to remove the uh, evil spirits from their bodies. People then went to the nearby stream to celebrate the day. Upstream, cups of wine would be sent down the stream and wherever the cup stopped, the person would drink from the cup. This is to ward off evil spirits. And this practice dates all the way back to the Zhou Dynasty over 2,500 years ago. This winding stream party was specifically mentioned by the famous poet Wang Xizhi in his poem, Lan Ting Ji Xu, written in 353 AD. It was popularized and, quite frankly, memorialized such that in the Zhejiang area of China, this tradition continued for millennia. There are several gorgeous paintings that depict this scene over the centuries, and uh, we'll post a couple on social media for you to see. I highly recommend, um, otherwise, you know, going on Wikipedia to take a look at how these, uh, um, how this works and the paintings that were posted to get an idea of what uh, Wang Xizhi was trying to portray in uh, in his poems. For the drama, the directors and show creators wanted to showcase this piece of history. There's really no impetus as to why they would do this, particularly in this scene um, for the. Uh, Madam, uh, Madam Qin to, uh, you know, invite guests over for this. I guess they just wanted to create this as a really cool scene. There was a lot of ingenuity in this whole set. The set or the table is custom made and water is poured on the side at the top of the table by maids and water flows down to the bottom. 
there is an area at the bottom of the table that catches the water, and the maids would scoop up the water and walk back up to the head of the table to uh, recycle the process. We can't see it, but under each plate, uh, I guess like foam or flotation devices, were added to assist uh, the plates floating down the table. I hadn't thought of this, but yeah, when you have a plate that has food on it, how do you expect it to float down a river? I would say the set designers were quite ingenious in uh, creating these little black trays that would be able to hold up the, the food. And each lady actually has two pairs of chopsticks. You can see this in the scene. One larger one to grab food from the floating plates and another for personal eating. So you would see Mingline and other uh, guests use larger chopsticks to pick up the food and then eat with their personalized chopsticks. To me, this is probably one of the most exquisite uh, set pieces in the entire drama and really sets this drama apart. Apparently, the uh, actors and actresses who weren't even a part of this scene wanted to go check it out because it was just so, you know, cool, something that people have never seen before. I don't think I've seen this in any other drama since. And so I really value the time and care that this drama uh, or the showrunners put into creating or recreating such a beautiful scene. Next up, let's talk about sweets. This Qian Cheng Gao, or thousand layer cake that Qi Hong brought, uh, Ming Lan. Qi Hong claims that it was made from a chef or made by a chef from Yangzhou, which is the hometown of Ming Lan where she grew up. First time I saw this, I was kind of surprised. This doesn't look anything like a thousand layer cake I've seen before. After doing a bit of research and watching cooking videos, I believe I'm right in saying that the uh, drama mislabeled this dessert. It is not a thousand layer cake or the tian cheng gao, but instead yun pian gao or cloud cakes. The dessert Minglan eats definitely looks like the latter. The thousand layer cake usually has different colors based on the ingredients that are used, whether it's dates, coconuts, what have you, but uh, both are actually out of place time-wise. Legend has it that the Tian Cheng Gao or the thousand layer cake was created during the early days of the Ming Dynasty, so around 200 years after this show. The yunpian gao or cloud cakes were invented even later during the Qing dynasty during the reign of Qianlong Emperor, so like 600 years after the show. Still, a nice thought from Qi Hong to bring sweets for, uh, for Mingwan. Next, let's talk about Changsheng Dian. When Gu Tingye revealed himself to Minglan and tells her that he heard the entire conversation between her and Qi Heng, he says, I saw a performance of Changsheng Dian. This is another anachronism as Changsheng Dian is a play or a book written in the early Qing dynasty. Once again, several hundred years after the setting of this drama. But this book or play doesn't really matter. What matters is the actual story that is depicted in the play. It talks about the tragic love story between the famous Tang Dynasty Emperor Tang Xuanzong and his consort Yang Guifei. We've mentioned this story in the past. Yang Guifei is one of the four renowned beauties of Chinese history. Per the, uh, per the play and what Gu Tingye is trying to describe, to flatter Yang Guifei, the Tang Dynasty Emperor spent lavishly 
A famous story is how he exhausted large funds and physical labor just to provide the consort, so Yang Guifei, with fresh lychee fruit, a fruit that I love. But by doing so, it destroyed farmland along the way to bring this fruit. And it basically paints Yang Guifei in a rather negative light because she just likes eating. And Tang, uh, Tang Xuanzong, this emperor, was willing to do anything to make her happy. He also said all these things, that they were madly in love, she was the love of his life, yada, yada, yada. Unfortunately, this emperor stopped paying attention to state matters, which led to a very famous revolt, led by An Lu Shan. The emperor, court ministers, and this favored concubine uh, consort, Yang Guifei, had to flee the capital city. But in the face of pressure by court ministers, the emperor forced Yang Guifei herself to commit suicide as a way to appease everyone's anger. She is clearly uh, the scapegoat or the uh, sacrificial lamb here. And in the end, the revolt was quashed, but the emperor would lament the death of his love. You could say, yes, Yang Guifei was the root of this revolt, but the blame should, in my opinion, fall squarely in the emperor's court. I mean, he's the one who rules the empire and neglected it to spend time with a woman. Regardless, though, the emperor gave up his supposed love after many declarations that he will always be there for Yang Guifei. This is the warning Gu Tingye is trying to give Minglan. Qi Hong may not have an empire to run, but he does have societal pressures to contend with. Would he be able to stand up to those pressures to fight for Minglan? Deep down, as we talked about earlier, Minglan knows the truth, but just doesn't want to believe it herself. Lastly, let's talk about two women that Chi uh, Hung brings up in despair as he expresses his sorrow for the situation the Chi uh, family is currently in for having multiple people want to marry him. Those two women are one, Bao Si, and two, Da Ji. These two women are two of the most famous yaoji, or you could say femme fatales slash enchantresses uh, in China. They are two of the si da yaoji in Chinese history, or the four most famous enchantresses, but I think the term femme fatale is more um, apt, where the word yao translates to demon. So this description right off the bat is a very negative and quite honestly misogynistic term of women. All of these four yaoji were actually royal consorts or consorts, uh, concubines to kings. They all lived during different times in China. But basically, legend has it that all of these beautiful and seductive women bewitched their respective kings. The kings, under their influence, disregarded all of their usual duties and led their kingdoms to destruction. These women were, of course, blamed for it, not the men. Can we uh, get a collective eye roll for this, please? Bao Si and Da Ji were two women that Qi Hong mentions and were probably the most famous ones out of the four. He compares himself to Bao Si and Da Ji because the women are fighting for him, leading to unrest and tragedy. This, to me, reflects again that uh, in this drama, Qi Hong is acting more like a woman because we talked about this earlier, and now he's comparing himself to uh, women that cause downfalls of entire kingdoms, which 
you know, is weird. He's not comparing himself to generals or other emperors. Um, so anyways, but, you know, it might be a bit of an extreme comparison. However, an innocent woman, Rong Fei Yan, and his own servant, uh, Bu Wei, already died for him. Who knows what else the Prince of Yong will do to have Tia Hung for his son-in-law. Hopefully, this discussion clarifies a bit as to uh, why Tia Hung mentioned those two names. Lastly, let's finish up with some book differences. Interestingly, uh, the struggles of Tia Hung is magnified quite dramatically in this drama versus in the book. In the book, his marriage troubles were pretty much glossed over because he was never really in contention for Minglan's hands as he is in this uh, drama. Um, his mother, the princess, is as ice cold as ever, but in my mind, her killing the servant was most certainly um, a step too far. She casually kills him and, you know, begs for forgiveness later in the book. Mm, no, thank you. We definitely see the type of woman she is, and uh, ruthless is probably the only word to uh, to describe her. Well, that is it for this episode discussion of the story of Ming Lan. As always, if you have any questions or comments, let us know. Reach out to us. I did spend COVID time brushing up my zither or guzheng skills and learn this version of the theme song to the drama. Sheet music is written by Cui Jianghui. Definitely check out her uh, YouTube channel. She has tons of great zither renditions of popular Chinese pieces such as this one. But in any case... Hope you enjoy uh, the music that is now part of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will see what happens to Ti Hung in the next episode regarding his marriage and family issues. Until next time. <laughs>